You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We're here to talk about your AFC champion. Super Bowl bound Kansas City Chiefs with Ron Cop Jr. I'm Matt Sagner. We got lots to talk about today. We are not looking ahead. We are just going to sit here and revel in yes. this victory, the importance of it. All the the guys who stepped up, uh, Ron, you were at Arrowhead. Uh, how was your experience there? How was that? Yes, sir, Stags. What a time to be a Chiefs fan. I mean, just, you know, it, it's nice to have kind of the doubt on your side a little bit, and that's what was happening. You know, I think Mahomes' ankle was was making people feel good about going against them. You know, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and there were a lot of people picking the Bengals for, for that reason, you know, kind of doubting, okay, you know, there's no way this guy can play on a high ankle sprain, you know. And, man, all the adversity they faced in the game – Oh man, what a game, dude. What a game to to kind of like, you know, kind of put all this season into perspective. Obviously, I still have one more to go, but you know, Stags, the AFC is the is the the crown jewel. The first thing, you know, not the first thing I got to worry about. The, the vision is the first thing I got to worry about, but man, you know, coming, you know, kind of sealing their their fate with the AFC this year. Doing it at Arrowhead again, uh, you know, for the third time in 5 years. Uh that was one of the most memorable games I had, man. And uh I don't know. It was a lot of Bengals fans showed up. I will say, uh, since he since he showed up, but you know, I'm not even going to say the word. But I'm just glad. And people, are, I, I'm, I'm I just wish take it out of your vocabulary, national media, anybody, the the B word that that y- y'all tried to use instead of Arrowhead because that was just disrespectful. I felt the disrespect. The Chiefs felt the disrespect. And I'm glad we took took it back and and kind of shut them up, Stags. I really am. Yeah, I was as nervous as I've been coming into a Chiefs game for this one for for a long time, probably since the first time they appeared in the Super Bowl. This was one of those games right. where I just so much could have gone wrong and so much did go wrong. And and so it creates <laughs> just incredible storylines. This is like this is literally a movie script uh type of a performance. It makes the whole season feel different in different perspectives and I definitely was not I definitely, it's it's very satisfying to have this victory because it, because it wasn't a sure thing. It wasn't a sure thing before the game. It wasn't a sure no. thing during the game. It wasn't a sure thing with two minutes left to go. There, we had those ups and downs. There were so many times when this could have gone the other way, but it just makes it feel that much more satisfying. And you can tell by the reaction of the team that yeah. they were on one in a way that that. 
I haven't seen this group of guys, you know, respond to a game in the way that they did for this one. No, you really do need like a fire at sometimes, just a fire lit under you, you know, as, as, you know, teams go into the Super Bowl. And I think the Bengals had that a little bit, right? You know, they had that with their own adversity, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, all the coin flip and the game being canceled. But the Chiefs had their own with the Bengals, you know, Mike Hilton again, you know, starting to talk early, Eli Apple talking quite a bit, and the Cincinnati mayor. Just oh my god! I mean that's dis- I, one of the most disrespectful, corniest things I've ever seen in in in, in NFL fandom. Um, I can't believe yeah. that actually happened. And obviously they took you know, I, and and as they should, they should took you know take something to that because it was only you know the Bengals had won three games, man, but it was one game that that mattered most, and it was you know it was the AFC Championship where the Chiefs beat themselves more than the Bengals beat them. I will say it. You know, Chris Jones not finishing, Zach Mahomes not finishing the game. You're this year, they, AFC Championship game. right? This year they finished the job, but I'm just glad because the Bengals fans were talking like they already won the game, and I don't know, man. I'm I I can't remember feeling more disrespected heading into a game by a team that hasn't done as much as we have. So I'm glad the Chiefs set the record straight, man. I I really am, and I guess you no, know, real quick, shout out Christian Gamager, my guy. You know, I I, I got to give him give him love for asking the question because I did tweet it out. You know, I couldn't help myself. He says, "Hey, Ron, first time, long time here." How was that victory cigar, you beautiful bastard? And yes, sir, it was great. We snuck one in. You know, maybe a little shot at Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, a little too cold for Joe Burrow, maybe. You know, a little too cold for the Bengals. A little shot at him, maybe. But uh, it tasted very good watching the confetti come down. You're hitting a cigar. That was that was a nice little way to end the night. I know for me personally, there's few players in NFL history that get under my skin and annoy me more than Joe Burrow at this point. Uh, there's just something about his whole persona, the way he carries himself, the way he talks. Uh, it is, it, it is disrespectful. It's cocky. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's douchebaggery at, at its finest. And <laughs> he's the quarterback and, of the right team. And he's quarterback in the right team. Yeah. They, so it's not, it, it's him. It's this Bengals team. It's this, you know, narrative that they've they've beaten the chiefs you know three times in 12 months and and that they have the chiefs number that burrows somehow a better quarterback than patrick mahomes by some measure that i'm, I'm not sure uh what that is other than pff scores which uh you know <laughs> oh god and i don't have a great response for that but um their response is usually hey watch the game uh we watch every play you couldn't have watched every play in this game and come to any conclusion other than Patrick Mahomes is the greatest player on this planet. And, and what he went through and how he persevered was unbelievable. But let's get back to this, the talking that happened this week. Again, I've never seen the Chiefs respond after a game. You expect them to say something like, yeah, they were talking a lot and we shut them up. But like this team from top to bottom let these Bengals know that they heard them and they use that as, as that little extra motivation. And, you know, it was, it was quite obvious that this was a very, very emotional game for these, for these Kansas city chiefs. And they were not looking past this to the super bowl by any means. This was, this was in some ways a destination in and of itself, partially because of the talk. Right, and I think you could argue, you say like they weren't looking forward. I think you could argue last year there might have been some looking forward, right? You just won what everyone wanted to say was the AFC Championship, Chiefs, Bills. You know, this year there wasn't that. 
And it was because of that. And, and the guy that took, it seemed like took the most, you know, uh, to heart, I should say, kind of in a, you know, and, and really let it feel his game the most was Chris Jones. And, and you mentioned earlier, uh, Mahomes proved he was the best player on the planet in this game. I don't know, man. Chris Jones might have gave him a little run for his money in terms of just <laughs> overall football player. I mean, my yeah. gosh, I've, I just an absolute dominant performance from Chris Jones. He had the two sacks, but just way more, you know, impact than just those two plays. But they came at great times, right? Obviously, the one early in the game led to a punt. Um, but the one late, you know, on third down when they really needed it, you know, forced a punt, forced the Chiefs to get the ball back. Man, Chris Jones was on another level. And and I love – you talk about the talk, man. I love in the in the pregame press conferences, he's he's locked in, no smile, man. You know, he's, he's kind of making that sl- – you know, everyone else is laughing when he's making the – I'm not saying – I'm not saying it, by the way, the, the B word, you know, that, that everyone loved to, to, to say before this game, uh, Arrowhead. Uh, he was kind of poking fun at it, but after the game, he wasn't poking fun at anything, man. He looked in that camera and threatened you if you ever said that again. So I'm not going to say it because I don't want Chris Jones coming after me. Don't, <laughs> don't disrespect Arrowhead. Uh, don't disrespect Chris Jones and his legacy. You know, the this game was also a lot about redemption, both redemption for players in their career, redemption for the Chiefs against the Bengals, redemption within the season Redemption even within this game, and I want to kind of hit on some of those themes. We can start with Chris Jones because coming into this game, he was a great interior pass rusher coming off his arguably his best season, which I don't think it's even questionable at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it he hadn't had a postseason sack yet, and therefore, for some reason, that was hanging over his head. But um, – I think he may have changed some minds uh, about his legacy, about his place in NFL history with just this performance. Yeah, no, I really do think it was, I mean, you know, I'm not a historian, right? I'm not an NFL historian, but I don't remember seeing a defensive lineman and, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a, a legitimate defensive lineman, not like an outside linebacker, you know, a, that, that can pass rush. Sometimes I'm talking a legitimate in the trenches, defensive lineman, dominate a game to this extent um field yates had this on twitter but chris jones had eight pressures according to whatever metric he used i believe espn has their own way of tracking it eight pressures three of them turned into sacks two of them were by him one of them uh, i believe was cleaned up by i think it was frank right for uh frank cleaned up that first one and the other five pressures that he had all turned into incompletions whether that was a throwaway or just kind of you know I think one of them was the intentional grounding, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was a Chris Jones pressure there, which anyone thinking that's not intentional grounding, just I'm not even going to get into that. So, yeah, Chris Jones just absolutely just taking over this game. I mean, you could see it just a different intensity in every one of his rushes. He's he's like his hands are never stopped working. His legs are churning as much as you've ever seen it. Like he was playing at a different level. And he said a year ago now he he said he was going to do this. You know, he he. This last year fueled his entire offseason. He said that after the game, he said that during the offseason, he said that at many times this year that he was fueled by last year's game. And bro, he he came out and did it. Like, I don't know. That's it, it's they put Chris Jones on another level to me. I don't know. I mean, it, it really is an, an outstanding, um, just you know, mile marker of a performance. He was unstoppable, he was more determined than we've ever seen him. And just, yeah, the, the clutchness, that's not a word, but like the, the way that he closed out this game, when they punted that ball away with two minutes left, I think all of us had this sinking feeling that we've seen this before. It's going to end badly. 
the defense was good all day long. The pass rush was good all day long. But at that moment, we all had to be thinking they're going to complete three passes and kick a field goal. This game's going to be over in a bad way. Um, he was not going to let that happen. And there was some talk about that actual play. So he lined up extremely wide on that particular play. And I, I saw um, a tweet that I think you shared with, uh, with me that the Chiefs had purposefully maybe not moved him around in maybe the previous matchup uh, or even partially part of this game in order to save that for a key moment. But you, you maybe had a little bit different perspective on that. But either way, Chris Jones put himself out wide and was completely unstoppable on that single rep when they needed it the most. He was not going to let go of Joe Burrow. He was not going to be denied that sack, that play in that moment. This is just, again, it's a movie script. It is, if you had to draw it up and you said on third down, the final drive, final Bengals drive of the game, what's going to happen? And that's what you would want to see happen. Yeah, no, Chris Jones just, just kind of putting, you know, kind of again, like he, again, he, he said it last year. It is a storybook, right? It really is. And that's what, you know, I mean, he's putting himself into a position where with two season 15 and a half sacks, these dominant playoff performances, man, he could have, he could give himself, you know, an opportunity to be a hall of fame player. If he continues on any sort of longevity um, uh, streak, which is awesome. I mean, he, this chiefs team just has so many talented players and, and, you know, it's just been so cool to see him progress over the years. But, no, you're right. Uh, they did not move him around to defensive end on the edge at all in that regular season matchup. He really stayed in one spot. And the Bengals took advantage. They double-teamed, forced the other interior rusher to win one-on-one. And Colin Saunders, and I think Dana may have been in that game, I believe, just weren't doing it that game as well. Yeah, Dana was in that game. This time, they were moving him around, so he couldn't get double-teamed as much, right? And he still was getting double-teamed. Uh, Caleb James, our guy, um, he's going to have a, a great article on Chris Jones coming out. He actually had a uh, he had the breakdown for us. He's been looking at the film uh, in 45 pass rush downs. Chris Jones was double teamed 30 times and triple teamed twice. He won or affected the play on 10 of the reps he was doubled on. Of his 13 downs being blocked by one player, he won 11 of them, two sacks, 10 pressures, five quarterback hits, and one holding call. And I believe one of those pressures led to the intentional grounding. Uh, again, I just an unbelievable performance. It's, so I don't know. We could talk about Chris Jones all day, Stacks. Absolutely. If you, your question was, is this the greatest defensive line performance in, in playoff history? And we were looking, trying to find other impressive pass rush performances in playoff history. It looks to us, at least in recent memory, like there's two guys that have had three sack games. Uh, the great Reggie White and mm-hmm. uh, Frank Clark. <laughs> <laughs> two guys that have had uh, three sacks in a playoff game. Uh, Chris Jones is one of a number of guys who had two. But I don't think just the fact that he had two sacks encapsulates what he accomplished in this particular game. He was dominant beginning to end against the pass and the run. He stopped drives in the first half, uh, especially towards the end of uh, the first half when the the Bengals were driving and the Chiefs had just gone three and out, uh, mm-hmm. given up their chance at this, you know, doubling up at the end of around oh halftime. God. That it was a very frustrating time for all of us, and Chris Jones blows through the line of scrimmage and gets a tackle for loss on a, on the running back, forcing them to kick a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown there. It's a momentum-changing play that wasn't even reflected 
you know, in, in the pass rush stats, uh, you know, I think it's really hard to, to box score your way into a, a story around Chris Jones, because it was, it was one of those games where it was so impressive to watch and so impactful, whether he, you know, got the sack specifically or not. Right. And he just set other people up to get, get sacks, you know, constantly. I mean, there's a, there's a play of the Willie Gay one that he got half a sack, you know, they go to double Chris that, that leaves uh, Frank and Willie only with only one guy to block one of them. And so Frank's open and Willie comes from the outside, forces Joe to step up and Frank's right there um, with a smart play to kind of move to the front of the pocket and, and, sh- and shut off the scramble. Chris Jones was just impacting pretty much every single play. He was, he was in the game uh, to, to an, to an extent, but I will say, we're on the defensive topic, man. You got to give credit to the back end, the coverage, uh, the, the defense, uh, you know, behind Chris Jones to give him some time. There were definitely sacks that Burrow's coming off his first or second read, right? It's because, and this was a key key thing, and I know we're going to get to this, Spags. We talked about, you know, things that we previewed before the game, but this was a thing I talked about. Spags, you know, disguising coverage, and he trusted three rookie cornerbacks because Jerry Sneed went out the fourth defensive play of the game. He trusted three rookie cornerbacks, also with a, a lot of play from Brian Cook, the safety being having to play uh, a lot because they're playing a lot more dime just naturally kind of with a lot more pass defense and Willie Gay was out. So, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, you lose that advantage in nickel um, and pass downs having Willie and Nick Bolton. But all that to say, the back end played their butts off. The rookies really, you know, they, they gave up some plays, sure, but they made some huge plays as well. And I, you know, I don't think, you know, you could ask for much more from from three rookies stepping into a situation. Yeah, to have four rookies in your defensive backfield on the field yeah. at the same time uh, and another up on the defensive line. I mean, this was a as impressive a performance as I've ever seen in one day from a rookie class. And Field Gates tweeted this out. If you just start in the first round and you go all the way down, Trent McDuffie, six tackles, two passes defended. He was amazing, I thought, throughout the game, the way he mm-hmm. tackled, the way he was aggressive on the ball. Sure, wish he would have pulled in that first interception. That would have been awesome. Right. But otherwise, uh, incredible day for McDuffie. George Karloff just got a sack. Sky Moore had one of the most impactful special teams plays you'll ever see with that punt return at the end of the game. Uh, Brian Cook, four tackles, broke up a pass. Joshua Williams, interception. Jalen Watson, interception. Isaiah Pacheco had 85 total yards. I mean, the... The rookies top to bottom were one of the three stories of the game. If you had to say the the reason the Chiefs won this game is Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, and the rookie class. Like that's that's why they won this game. Those guys were were unbelievable. Yeah, and it and it wasn't because they were necessarily like expected to do all of that, right? A lot of the rookies were forced to step in. You know, I kind of just already mentioned it, but uh, you know, Sneed goes out, right? And and so you know, McDuffie was playing in the slot, I think, and they were going to, um, you know, kind of play him in the slot because they, I think they wanted Snead on chase. I believe uh, someone said that, right? Andy said that after the game um, that they wanted Snead to lock up on chase. So McDuffie would have been playing in the slot either way, but that is Snead's main position. So McDuffie kind of has to take over that role, which forces Joshua Williams, someone who unfortunately got benched this year because, you know, uh, for another rookie, um, he has to step in and play again. And then because I, I mentioned Willie Gay's injury, they just they want to go more dime. They want to get three safeties on the field, something that they don't do as much this year as they have in years past. So the Dan Sorensen packages, that's why he was always on the fields because they were always in dime. Um, and Ben Neiman. 
Um, they didn't. They wanted to go to it because they don't have Willie Gay in the, in the on the field. So Brian Cook is forced to step in. And how about Brian Cook on that one interception um, that ended up in Joshua Williams' hands? But you know, just turns at the perfect moment, tip drill like we teach our eighth. Like I've taught my eighth graders before as a DBs coach. You know, we're running the tip drill. That's what you do. That's what you do when you have that situation. You could tell he knew where Joshua Williams was. You could tell he was trying to do that. Like it was not this like lucky play where he just, right. oh shoot, like deflected it out, you know, out of nowhere. He was trying to give a turnover to, you know, not just be a pass deflection, give the Chiefs a turnover. Yeah, I mean, because some people would have swatted that ball down or right. or, or tried to tried to catch it himself. Like it was that was extremely intentional and and just beautifully executed. Right. No, yeah, it, it was. No, I so I, I just totally agree with you. The rookie classes, it, it was just nice to see them. And Sky Moore, even you could say, you know, I mean, obviously you can say the dude should not have been punt returning ever again in his entire NFL career. But obviously, what else are they supposed to do when Tony McColl and Justin Watson are all not active on the field or, you know, just not on the field? Yeah, I you got to go to him. And he stepped up when it mattered. He had a few punt returns, but obviously the one at the end really was the, the difference maker. This, this to me, I, I, I don't know if this is an apt analogy or not, but this was like the Rudy moment. Uh, so thinking about this this game as a movie script, when Sky Moore comes in there and he drops back to that punt, you know, to catch that punt, I, I know I had my breath held. I know everybody <laughs> probably in the stadium was just like, yes, I was celebrating when he caught it. Like not when he ran, not when he, he crossed the 50-yard line. I was happy that he cleanly caught that football. If he yeah. had just done that and fallen down, it would have been a successful play. But like, he was such the underdog in that situation. It was such a a case of somebody who was who looked completely inept early in the season doing that exact thing, and for that to be the thing that puts them in the Super Bowl more more than just about anything else on that last drive was that punt return. I mentioned it before. You could argue that this is one of the uh, – and, and I think there was a, a case made on on Twitter that this is one of the most impactful postseason uh, special teams plays in history. And yeah. if, you, if you go to the advanced stats and you say, what is the win probability for the Chiefs at that moment, it was 59% before that punt return. It was 71% afterwards. It was the biggest – or the 12th biggest jump uh, of the season – for one punt return, changing the outcome of a game. But when you put that in context of postseason history, I've got two in my head, two postseason plays that are on the same level as this one. But uh, can you think of another one off the top of your head? where Special, special teams generally, just special teams in general, yeah, not just our two special. What are the, the, the three biggest special teams plays in Chiefs postseason history? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is the sky more return what are what are the other two well uh i throw back to the the alex smith days i gotta believe nile davis kick return touchdown yeah. maybe he's got to be one of them i think so and too. dan Sorensen tackle justin reed on the fake punt maybe oh there you go that that was a big one there was also a, a big uh, mccall hardman return in one of those games when they were coming from behind in the super bowl run i and i can't i yeah. can't put my finger on it right that's now that's the but- that- you're right. That's the Texans game. Yeah, it was the first. It was the first jolt of energy that game. We're down twenty-four nothing. That the ensuing kickoff. Yeah, you're right. He did take it past midfield. But but you're right though. The Dan Sorensen play on the fake uh, on the fake was uh, that was an elite 
that was in Dan Sorensen's uh, uh, Hall of Fame case right there. Uh, <laughs> well, shoot, even even the uh, the Darwin Thompson fumble recovery where uh, I can't remember who popped it up. Was it Dan? Dan might have. No, I think it was somebody else. Someone popped it. Michael Burton might have. Or Sherman. Sorry, Anthony Sherman. Yeah, Michael Burton. that was Sherman. Disrespectful. It, yeah, because sure. I remember Darwin catching that and, and being like, wait, what do I do? Yeah, now? he had the college <laughs> rules. Yeah, Darwin he had the like, college Red. rules. Red. Yeah. So, no, that, that was a monster play. It just, again, a heartwarming story for a kid who – who has been through it. I mean, he caught a lot of uh, booze. He got a lot of, uh, you know, obviously Twitter hate uh, for the way he handled punts earlier in the season. We all couldn't wait for him to be, to be off of that punt return duty to the point where we were hoping and, and were rewarded with somehow Justin Watson returning punts because, uh, because he would catch the ball. And the, you're right that the confluence of events that had to happen for, for Sky Moore to be in that situation, Watson was inactive. Um, everybody else got hurt. <laughs> I mean, there was there wasn't a lot of alternative. It was his. It was him or nobody, and and he made that play. And I think it's just going to be one of the great stories. And hopefully, it's a confidence builder for him going forward. This is something he can build on to say, "Hey, I can play this game at this level. I can come up big in the biggest moments." Uh, hopefully it's something he can build on not only as a returner, but as a receiver, because he still doesn't seem like totally on the same page as a receiver uh, with, with Mahomes yet, but you have a couple of big postseason performances and, and all of a sudden uh, you springboard your career in a lot of cases. Yeah, I will say I just, just cause it popped in my head when you said that uh, he had, he was open on one play that would have been a big conversion, but Mahomes just way off on the throw. It was kind of a weird, there was that stretch where the ankle really felt like it affected him. Like it really felt like he was just, and they wouldn't run the ball. And frankly, I mean, they can't, they couldn't really run the ball. So maybe that was a good, good idea. Um, So yeah, but, but no, I I will say sky, I don't think he, Tobe will probably force him to still try returner, but I think they should just keep him at receiver and let other people worry about (laughs) in the future. I I would agree. But again, hopefully this is a, the, the start of a, a, a bigger things for McColl in the future, wherever he is on the field. Um, another guy who had a, a what I would say is a redemption story for this game is is Joshua Williams. You talked about the, the cornerbacks. Uh, you know, Joshua Williams was was on the bench. He also was targeted a little bit, even in this game. You know, there was there were a couple of plays where uh, where it, it looked like he was going to be the guy that Joe Burrow was able to pick on. And he came back after being targeted, after giving up a couple of big plays and made one of the biggest plays in the game. So uh, you just saw that story repeat itself over and over again. Guys, even within this game, were able to turn their fate, turn their fortune around. Yeah, and well, honestly, just because we've already talked a little about Joshua Williams, I'll flip it and say a little redemption story just down the stretch of the season has been Jalen Watson, and it culminated in another good game uh, here. I mean, the guy obviously has one of the biggest plays, you know, in in the Chiefs' entire season to start his rookie career as a seventh-round pick in the week two. And then, you know, it seems like they want to go back to Joshua Williams at one point, right? And Jalen Watson goes to the bench, isn't playing as much. But this is the NFL, man, and and it's not, you know, just because you get benched once, you know, especially as rookies. Um, he kept, he just probably kept working and, and all of a sudden down the stretch, they gave him an opportunity. And I mean, this playoffs, man, he has been 
um, you know, awesome. I mean, Incredible. that intercept, yeah. that interception, you know, that's, that's a playmaking play. Like I, you know, the interception had today burrow, it's a terrible throw. And that's where PFF, I think that was actually the throw. I saw Sam Monson at PFF, like arguing somehow wasn't that bad of a throw where it was duck. He just leaves it up for Watson to grab, but we've had corners in the past, plenty of corners that maybe don't look as comfortable just readjusting realizing there's a ball in the air grabbing it and going right and he just seems to be very comfortable with the, when the ball's in the air obviously last week with the one-handed pick man i jalen watson man i mean it, it, it's crazy that beach has grabbed all these dudes because i mean you know watson was a seventh round pick could have been a undrafted free agent easily and and he's starting and playing well in the postseason and it wasn't just the interceptions he had a pass breakup on t higgins in the end yes. zone this yes. week that was a absolute thing of beauty um there yeah, were, lead to a field goal, yeah. Yeah, there are a number of plays for him uh, this week. There was a couple of plays where, where you know, Higgins got him on that one touchdown uh, where Watson kind of got turned around and the safety help was there, but, but you know, the, the pass was kind of right in between them. It wasn't a perfect game by any means, but, but again, come, coming up huge with, with those big plays and the coverage, like you said, was good enough to give Joe Burrow – yeah. Pause. It was good enough to get the pass rush home, especially in the first half, especially down the stretch when it counted. There were there were so many good plays by big plays by those guys, but we can't overlook also the fact that they were they were pretty sticky in coverage for the most part. Yeah, no, I, uh, I we are going to talk through things that, you know, we kind of looked at, you know, before the game and, and, and afterwards. And I and I really do think, you know, Spagnolo disguising coverages, you know, rotating guys, you know, I'll, I'll just say it real quick because it was it was uh, I like this note that I had. But on the Karloff, this sack, you know, the one he had, you can tell Burrow wants to go to his tight end right away. And they're in too high at first, but they rotate down to one high. And all of a sudden, Justin Reed's right on the tight end. And by the time Burrow's about to throw, he realizes that. And he has to, you know, cock back. He has to bring it back in, has to find another read. By the time he's trying to get somewhere else, boom, Karloftis is there. That's the kind of stuff that I was talking about before the game needed to happen. Just make Burrow hesitate just for one read. You know, make him try to go to a second or third read. They did that so well. And it just, real quick, shout out the Spags haters because, you know, it's there's plenty of you, and I've been on the bandwagon, and I'm not going anywhere because I love Spags. Yeah, Spagnolo had a tremendous game plan in this one. He made good adjustments. He did he moved the personnel around in, in ways that were uh, that was just brilliant. Um, I, I think this is a legacy defining game for this team, and I said coming into it, that's one of the reasons I was so nervous about it because I think the narrative around the Chiefs as a whole, their place within the AFC. Um, whether or not this is a dynasty, a lot of that hinges on this particular game. They needed to win this game in order to to tilt things in their direction from a historical perspective. And, and so I was looking at it in terms of, if you look back at this point, if you were sitting here today and they said the Chiefs had made it to five straight AFC championship games at home in the last five years, it sounds great. But which sounds better? Five AFC Championship games with two Super Bowls where they lost one of them and they were two and three in the AFC Championship game. Or three Super Bowl appearances, three and two in the AFC Championship games. I mean, that is a massive swing in Mm -hmm. the idea of this being a potential dynasty. I think if they were to go on to win the Super Bowl this year, you could start having that that conversation again. Uh, You can at least talk about 
absolute dominance of the conference uh, in a way that you, you wouldn't have otherwise. So this was really a defining and important game historically for this franchise. I totally agree. And, and I really do think, yeah, you, the dynasty talk is definitely uh, active. I mean, they definitely have to win the Super Bowl to, to have that. But I, I, I cut it off in 2019, man. I do not conclude the 2018 team in the current Mahomes. I mean, it's Mahomes, but like just the Chiefs current regime, right? Because that 2018 team had a completely different defense coordinator, completely different personnel. Stag, Spagnuolo came on in 2019. And since the Chiefs got a competent defensive play caller that Andy wanted and and obviously one of the better ones in the game, I mean, he's proven that over and over and over, uh, they have gone to three Super Bowls in four years. And the one year they did not go to the Super Bowl, you can argue they completely beat themselves. Imagine, and I think I said at the top of the podcast, but imagine Chris Jones finishes a few more sacks. Imagine Mahomes doesn't, his brain doesn't fall out of his head in the fourth quarter for some reason in that last year's AFC Championship. I, you know, you're not blaming it on Spags, right? And so I guess my point being is is we're talking defensively and, and just in the regime as a whole, but I just really feel like this team, this framework of this team has owned the AFC and the only way, the only year they didn't prove it is when they just fell flat on their own face, not because of anybody's own doing, in my opinion. And even then, it took them to overtime to win that game. Yes. And, and even in 2018, before the Chiefs had a defense, they, they still went to overtime. So, like, right. it, it is it is pretty remarkable what they've done. And, and, I, and I'm glad that we don't have to listen to narratives about <laughs> the Bengals owning the AFC now and no, sir. Joe Burrow being the better quarterback and all of this stuff for the next uh, the whole offseason. I was dreading that possibility. It is part of what made me anxious about this game. Uh, don't get me wrong. I had money on the Chiefs to win uh, and, a, and a, nice. a handful of single game parlay. So I, for the first time all season, uh, my DraftKings balance is higher today than it was before the game started. So, uh, <laughs> but I was I was really dreading the idea of what would have happened had they not won this game. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's that's uh, I. You are bolder than me, Stags. I uh, I cannot put money on the Chiefs. I. I, when I first started betting kind of in, in last year and I put a little money on him that stretch where they were just like the worst team in football, if anyone remembers, and they couldn't score any points and Mahomes looked like he lost all his superpowers. Yeah, that was all when I was betting on the Chiefs like every week. So uh, that's uh, I haven't bet on them since that stretch and they've looked good. So uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bad luck charm with the, I, with the game. I did have – so I had money on uh... – I had money on Canarius Tony with the first touchdown. Oh, you said that. Oh my God. And, and it got, <laughs> and it got overturned. You know, it was that close. They even challenged it. It was that close to, to hitting. I had another, a single game parlay that would have hit had Pacheco scored a touchdown and he did. And it got Ooh. called back. Uh, oh. So, so it wasn't all victories th- this week, but uh, I did. I placed the bet when um, the spread had gone, at its peak, when when the the Chiefs were were uh, the underdogs at the, the before it looked like Mahomes before you saw how much pro- progress Mahomes nice. had made when it I dropped know. to like you know Bengals by two or something like that that's that's when I got in a little bit so anyway uh, this isn't a gambling pod show podcast show but uh, it can be that was you know a legacy defining performance for the Chiefs it's also for Andy Reid and his resume getting back to another Super Bowl, the Andy Reid Bowl. You know, this this is going to be a really fun Super Bowl for that narrative. 
Uh, it was legacy defining. We talked about already Frank Clark uh, in, in the way that he uh, uh, is climbing up the ranks now, number three all time in postseason sacks with another one and a half sacks this week. Uh, passed, uh, who did he pass this week? He passed uh, Reggie he, White this week. Uh, no, Reggie White is still, I think, one behind him, or maybe not. Honestly, I'm 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 not sure. I I had it up earlier. I know he's behind Willie McGinnis, and I thought maybe Reggie White, and then he just passed some other guys. But anyway, he's third by himself, and he's one <laughs> he's one away from tying second. He'd have to have a crazy Super Bowl to get into first place. He'd have to have like another, three. Another three sack performance in the Super Bowl, and he is the all time leading sack artist in in postseason history. Hey. Hey, knowing Chris Jones, great teammate, he's just going to like collapse the pocket so much every play that Clark just finishes up three or four sacks. He's going to then... be boxing out like a basketball player, just right. giving a path for uh, for Frank Clark. Uh, and then I, I do think it was also a legacy-defining performance of Travis Kelsey, now second all-time in every postseason receiving category uh, yeah. behind only Jerry Rice. Um, but really – we got to talk a little bit before we go to break. Can we talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes and what this win means for him? And, you know, statistically he was phenomenal this week. Uh, he was 29 of 43, 326 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he was sacked three times, uh, but even on one leg, even, you know, taking the beating that, that, that you take throughout an NFL game uh, when the game was on the line, and nobody was open. He rolls out to the right, sees the first down marker. He had a, He actually had an outlet receiver there. But instead of throwing that outlet, I think it was Gray, he, he took him, pointed him to, to the oh, block yeah. and, 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 and ran as fast as he's run all game. Uh, I think I saw a, a stat on Twitter that he was – he ran at a 4-5-40 pace with yeah. a high ankle sprain at the end of that game to get to that first down marker. I don't even care about the penalty at the end of that play. The fact that he converted that run in that situation, given his physical condition shows a level of grit and determination and toughness. Uh, and, you know, over my dead body, Patrick Mahomes was carrying his team to the Super Bowl. If he had to drag, the rest of the team and his ankle along with him to get there. Uh, that was such an epic moment, and and you cannot talk about it enough. I don't think it is. Uh, it it is going to be on this Hall of Fame reel. Yeah, well, you're going to have people try to discredit it by saying, "Oh, well, obviously he didn't actually sprain it, high, you know, suffer a high ankle sprain, or obviously, you know, he, you know, it, it wasn't ever as bad as we thought, so you know, he really wasn't playing that injured." No, you could tell the dude was playing on a bum ankle. Um, you're right. This dude, we just, I think it's just easy to forget, like maybe because he's not really like, he's not that Michael Jordan character or figure. And this is more from national media, not the Chiefs fans. I think Chiefs fans understand, but this dude's a freak. He's a freak athlete. And this high uncle's brain, yeah, it didn't affect him as much because of that. But it's also just because he willed his way to do that. Mac Jones was out like three weeks or something earlier this year with the high ankle sprain. And, you know, I'm not saying maybe in a playoff game he, he gives it a go, right? But I'm just saying this this dude's a freak, you know, and, and the best quarterback in the NFL, one of the best players, one of the best professional athletes in the world for a reason. I just think people are going to kind of overlook that and just say, oh, he obviously wasn't that hurt. It's all, you know, it, and not really give it the credit that 
No, he he just won an AFC championship against a really good team, a team that gave him fits on a bum ankle with no receivers, with Marcus Kemp playing wide receiver two snaps. This guy got it done. Dang it. I am so ready for the national media to try to discredit him for this. This is going to be this is going to be awesome. And it was the hard work that he puts in year round that made that possible. It is his work with Bobby Stroop. It is his, yeah, exactly. You know, his training, uh, the flexibility training that he, that he does, but the fact that he lived in, literally lived in the team facility uh, ever since the Jaguars game, ever since that happened, uh, right. rehabbing nonstop. Uh, the Chiefs uh, head trainer Rick Burkhalter said he's the toughest player he's ever been around, um, and, and I think. You know, you can take all the talent in the world, uh, but you have to add this level of toughness for him to really become legendary. And I, I think he's, I think he's there already. Uh, there was a national media person who said, if he were to retire today, he's still a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, and, and I think that's, I think that's accurate. We've never seen anybody do what this guy has done. Yeah, no, and I mean, it wasn't his greatest game, right? I mean, he had some bad plays. Obviously, the fumble in the third quarter was awful, um, and, and uh, you know, they were on their way to taking a two-score lead, you know, into the fourth quarter. You know, it would have been huge, but he just straight drops it, and, you know, it's it's a Josh Allen kind of play, but the difference between him and Josh Allen is he ends up winning the game. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will just say, no, real quick, I you, you could tell it, you could tell he, he, he had a bum ankle, especially on a few plays where Brown gets beat around the outside, but he could have stepped up and, and avoided some of that pressure, but he literally just, he just couldn't have, he didn't have any explosion off that right foot to like step up really quickly into the pocket. And that really did affect him. But that just tells you he was hampered. He was playing through it. And he still threw some absolute seeds some absolute missiles as he was working through it. It's because he's, he's a freak, man. He, he, we need to give him his proper respect. We do as Chiefs fans. I know we do people. I know we do listeners, but I, <laughs> yeah, I just can't wait for other people to not. Well, it's, it's past time to get to our sponsors, take a little break. Last week, we did the Would You Rather going to break on who would you rather face in the Super Bowl. Now that we know the Chiefs opponent, uh, we had both voted for the 49ers saying we would rather have that matchup. Uh, yes. The Eagles are a juggernaut this year, and it's going to be a really, really tough matchup. We're not going to look ahead to that game too much in this podcast. We're going to save that for next week. But I'm going to have some folks over for the Super Bowl at my house. Uh, several different families will be here. We'll have multiple TVs set up. We'll have a lot of food and drinks. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also a little nervous about it because watching the Chiefs is such a, uh, an emotional experience for most of us. And, and we're, you go through the nerves, the ups and downs. You really want to focus on what's going on. So I'm going to throw this out to Ron. Would you rather watch the Super Bowl alone with multiple screens in front of you so that you can, you can take notes and, and, uh, break it down and, and freak out in private? Uh, or would you rather watch have a Super Bowl party like I'm going to have, be surrounded by friends and family and, and experience that with them? Ron's answer to that question after the break. So stick with us on the Out of Structure Podcast. We'll be right back with you. And we're back with you, our friends and family of the Chiefs Kingdom on the Out of Structure Podcast. We appreciate you all spending your time with us. My question to Ron as we went to break was, would you rather be surrounded by Chiefs Kingdom with your friends and family watching the Super Bowl in a, in a big Super Bowl party, or would you rather be sitting home alone to where you can freak out and, and throw stuff without, uh, without embarrassing yourself? Uh, would, which one would you rather for the Super Bowl coming up? 
You know, I'm going to be honest, Stags. I think I'd rather be amongst the people um, for this one coming up. I I love watching games by myself, and I love you know you know having that you know cl- mind clarity. You know, not having everyone you know trying to you know say this this and this and this all all is happening or trying to take you away from the game. But I will say, you know, ever since the first ring, ever you know, we got that first ring right, and it was great, right? And I wanted to be. I, I was in more of an isolated situation for that one, but. The thing I remembered the most about that one and loved the most about that one was obviously celebrating afterwards. I mean, I was at downtown at PNL in the streets of Kansas City, you know, late into the night. And uh, that's what it's all about, man. So, you know, we've we've gotten the nerves out of the way. We've got the superstitions out of the way. You know, we've won the first ring. Let's let's all enjoy it together. That's what it's all about. So I, I think I'd advocate for everyone to be with people. Let's take this in together. Let's see if we can get another dub. Yeah, I was pretty happy to watch this AFC Championship game by myself for the most part. Um, it was it was a stressful event, and and again, as we just talked about, it was legacy defining in so many ways that I felt like it was the pressure has never been greater, and in some ways, some of that pressure will be off for the Super Bowl, and, and we'll be able to as fans relax a little bit. Obviously, you don't want the team relaxing; the, their work isn't done. But but in some ways, you know, this was the this was the biggest hurdle this season to get over. Uh, they've done that. They're back in the Super Bowl. It, it may be time to celebrate and, and, and enjoy that with family and friends. So uh, I'll take that. And then we can focus on being by yourself when you do the rewatch. When you did the rewatch this yes. week, Ron, what are some of the themes you came up with? There's some things we talked about last week's on last week's pod that I feel like ended up being the, the actual keys to the game. So we said – uh, that one of those keys would be the middle of the field defense for the Chiefs. How did that turn out for us? Yeah, no, I really think obviously it was it was better this week. They clogged uh, middle of the field lanes more. It was, it was part of that disguised coverage, right? It was part of kind of confusing Burrow, think you know, not allowing him to understand exactly what coverage they were going to drop into. They're playing a lot more man. I will say, you know, they were playing much more just cover two quarters zone coverage. You know, soft zone not preventing anything over the top in the Week 13 game. And they didn't uh, allow a lot of big plays, right? But they allowed a lot of uh, chunk gains by, you know, yards after catch. This time, they kind of focused more on, look, you know, we're going to challenge you. We're going to make you throw down the field. You're going to make you earn your big plays. And it worked out. It, it did, right? I mean, and that's what happens when you have a Chris Jones. And I'm glad that they understood the, the dominance him up front is going to allow them at the same time, you know, it's going to allow quicker passes to come out. It's going to allow turnover opportunities like they had. Brian Cook tipping it up. Jalen Watson with the interception. Um, yeah, it, they helped Chris Jones get home quicker at times, but them in man coverage also uh, prevented Burrow from getting rid of the ball quicker at times as well, and, and, and he had to hold on to it because of that. So it is it is definitely uh, – it, it was definitely something, you know, before the game, you know, the middle of the field, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay – you know, I was worried about that. But again, I mentioned they have Brian Cook in and he was all over the place, man. Brian Cook was rangy, flying all over the place, um, got the DPI because he was just a little too soon there, which it was a good call. But I really like his aggressiveness there. You know, even if the ball gets to his hands, uh, you know, it's it's he pops him and the ball's probably out. And he had a few other tackles. So obviously the tip up was a great play. So, yeah, I, I think the middle of the field coverage was much better. But it was because Spags allowed them to be more aggressive, not as passive as they were in week 13. And you're right. I do think the dime coverage helped in that. I think the safeties were pretty good this week. Yes. Uh, I thought Justin Reed played a really good game, had a couple of big pass breakups. He is another redemption story this season. I think there was a time in this season where 
most of us agree that he hadn't really delivered a lot of plays considering his role on this team and his place on this team. He mm-hmm. came up big in the, in the playoffs so far and, and down the stretch. Uh, I thought he, I thought he was a big part of, of what they were doing. I thought Thornhill was pretty good at times as well. Uh, and they sure they lost Willie Gay. And I think they did a good job of making up for that uh, with, with the guys that they had on the field. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so too. But um, you know, other keys to this game too, when you talk about before the game, I mean, we talked about the offensive defensive line mismatch, you know, and you know, with the chiefs defensive line, you know, we already talked about enough, you know, enough of that. Um, I'm not sure we talked about it enough, by the way. <laughs> Matt McMullen I mean, you can, out, yeah. Uh, the the pressure numbers they pressured Joe Burrow on 21 of his of his dropbacks. Joe Burrow had 41 attempts, uh, so half of his dropbacks, he the Chiefs got a pressure. Ten of those, Chris Jones, seven Dunlap, five for Frank, three for Mike Dana. Dana had an underrated game in this one. He he not only forced oh, yeah. uh, some pressure, but also got a holding call uh, against him. I mean they. He was a guy that they had to they had to deal with, uh, especially when they the, all the attention goes to Chris Jones. Yeah, no, I'm actually glad we are going to talk about this because I do have a good stat. I tweeted out, um, and I thought this was a, good, a cool stat at least. So last year they pressured Burrow on 17 of 42 attempts. That's about 40.5 percent. So 40 percent, one sack, but they allowed seven first downs on those pressure dropbacks. So s- seven times he beat the pressure, uh, uh, succeeded. This year. Pressure rate's very similar, right? It's about 43%, so 40%, 43%. Both are very high numbers, by the way. If you're in the 40s for a game, that is terrorizing a quarterback. So this is between last year and this year's AFC Championship, right? So 40%, 43%. They had one sack last year. They had five sacks this year. They allowed seven first downs on those dropbacks last year. They allowed only four first downs on them this year, even though he had they had seven – or Burrow had uh, seven more dropbacks total um, on, the, on those plays, so – yeah, I I uh I really feel like the the Chiefs defense they pressured similarly to last year because they were disruptive last year. You watched the game last year, but this might be the difference between Brandon Daly and Joe Cullen. Cullen got these dudes ready to go. Carlos Dunlap, obviously, we talked about being a better addition than Melvin Ingram, but he absolutely was in this game against his former team. Dana, obviously, I actually saw some national media people talking about how Dana, you know, popped off to them. Um, you know, uh, I should not national media, but anyway, yeah. So it is it was a huge game for the defensive line and, and something that it's not just Chris Jones that redeemed themselves. The entire unit redeemed themselves from last year too. Yeah. The pass pass pressure numbers are, are subjective a little bit, right? So there's a little bit of variance in, in how you count a pressure, uh, you know, versus, versus others. But what I think you could see on the screen this week was they got home more. Uh, they caused more turnovers. Uh, they caused more sacks. You know, there was more of a, a finishing mentality uh, from this defensive front, and uh, they were absolutely dominant to start the game. The Bengals made some adjustments, and, and it was, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a dry spell, but then when it came time to close the game out, they were right back there, right where they needed to be. And really, like I said, closing, getting the job done, finishing, being relentless, being disruptive. The defensive line was was phenomenal today. Uh, and Joe Burrow was still doing what he does. He still got the ball out quick. I, I saw a stat that he got it out in, on average in 2.65 seconds uh, per play, if I remember correctly, which is uh, among the faster, uh, you know, quick passing performances of, of the league this year, and it didn't matter. They, they still got home. They still got pressure, and then the back end held up. 
even when he got the ball out quick. There was only a handful of plays that will stick in everybody's mind, but a handful of plays where, where Chase and, and Higgins, you know, went up and got one uh, even when they were covered. But for the most part, this defense was phenomenal, and it was because of the defensive line. Totally, totally. So, yeah, going to another part I, I would say that uh, we looked at before the game. It was part of my five things to watch. And, and obviously we were all watching it, right? It was Mahomes' limitations, you know, Mahomes, you know, on his ankle. And I do think one thing you saw schematically that the Bengals did to kind of challenge that was they loaded the box and, and actually had a lot of, of, of heavier fronts um, to kind of uh, maybe challenge the Chiefs and say, hey, look, we'll, we'll, we'll ask you to pass or challenge you to pass. You know, we're, we're not going to allow you to get the run game going. And they didn't, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened. They were running a lot of three, four fronts, which gives you a nose tackle, and then two defensive ends on the, at the five tech. There's not a lot of room in, in, in those fronts. And that's why, you know, three, four fronts are traditionally the better run defense um, in those two-gap schemes. And the offensive line didn't handle it very well, and and they're not ad, ad, you know advantage to. But what what the the Chiefs did take advantage of that with is that gives you a one high safety look when you do that, right? When you bring another guy into the box, you know you bring that eighth defender closer to the line of scrimmage, you get one high looks out of that. And they got tons of those looks, and that's why MVS had a great game. I'm actually writing about MVS. You'll you'll it'll be on the site by the time you're listening to this, but. MBS really did step up. You know, he probably should have been talked about earlier than this, but he really did step up and be and become what I think. And I'll you know answer Thomas Ramirez's question real quick. He asked who the MVP on offense and defense is. Offense was MBS. It, it really was. You know, the receivers got hurt. Kelsey was banged up, obviously, even though he was making plays still. And and obviously, you know, Mahomes is banged up. He stepped up. And what he does best is he gets space vertically. He gets space towards the sideline. You know, his long speed allows him. Um, you know, to, to, to create separation, you know, down the field, but he also has those long arms and, and the, the catch radius that sometimes doesn't work and it drives us crazy, but it does seem like he catches the hardest catches and they were all very challenging, you know, really impressive completions uh, for the most part down the field um, against the Bengals on, on Sunday. So MVS was, was a big deal. Um, not only on those corner routes where he beat the one high look, he also, you know, had a, had a few yards after catch plays like reaching for the first down, Great play by him. Um, also a check down. He took 25 yards. So I've been pretty hard on MBS all year. And so I, I, I do want to give him his props. And that's why I wanted to write about him because he does, he he was one of the best, most impactful players in this game. Yeah, this game didn't go how we thought it was going to when the uh, pregame you know, festivities were going and the, the game day inactives were announced. Kadarius Tony was active. McCole Hardman was active. Uh, Justin Watson was inactive. And you thought, okay, they're going, they're going for it with their offensive weapons. This is going to be a game, a yak game. This is going to be a game for mm-hmm. uh, the trick plays, the gadget plays. These guys doing stuff that we haven't been able to do in previous Bengals matchups because they haven't had both of those guys on the field. And sure enough, both of those guys go out in the first half, and and all of a sudden they had to adjust, and and they did. So I thought that was a good adjustment and a, and a great great game by MVS. Um, we talked about balance being important. I don't think that worked out. Uh, as, as you mentioned, there was no running room. Mm-hmm. Running backs combined for, uh, what was it, 33 yards? Or, sorry, 27 I, yards for running backs? Yeah, uh, I have 27 yards on 15 handoffs. Yeah, I nice. mean, that's that's re- really tough, and I think you saw that in the game. They just were running into brick walls uh, with this Bengals defense. Um, but the big thing that I thought was – you had to look at what happened in previous games against the Bengals and say they had to avoid that second half collapse. 
and they had to try to figure out a way to to put together a full four quarters. There were times where it looked like that collapse was coming. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, the Chiefs had a quick three and out uh, at the end of the first half that, that should have been their chance to double up. Another quick three and out right after the half. And then the Bengals go down and score a touchdown to tie it up. And you thought, all right, here we go. This is, this is another second half collapse. And then the Chiefs responded with a really gutsy drive for a touchdown. This drive started off uh, you know, with a, a couple of, of short passing attempts. And they were stuck with third down, and you thought, man, they, they could go three and out again. Uh, but then McCole Hardman makes a, a tough catch over the middle uh, for 11 yards and a first down on third and four uh, to get this drive going. That would be his last play of the game as, as yeah. he re-aggravated his uh, pelvic abdominal injury in, in a vicious hit, uh, held onto the ball. That seemed to sort of energize them as they started to move the move the chains a little bit. That MVS play you just talked about uh, was on that drive, and then it comes to another third down play. So that the MVS, sorry, the play off the sideline for twenty five was was first, and then third and seven they throw that short pass to MVS, and he mm-hmm. has the wherewithal to reach out, mm-hmm. reach the football out in one hand, just to hit that first down marker. They had to review it and get it overturned, called that a first down. And then a couple plays later, uh, they, they mm-hmm. threw the touchdown to MVS. So that was the MVS drive. So if you want to give MVS credit for anything, that's the drive that turned this game around. This this second half collapse could have happened if not for that drive. And that drive wouldn't have happened without MVS and, uh, to, to some extent, McCole Hardman. Uh, and from there forward, you know, this team, you know, wasn't, great on offense uh but they found a way to get the job done uh and and they were great on defense to to avoid a second half collapse yeah the mbs touchdown you pointed out a, a really cool thing that mahomes talked about in the post-game press conference um about that touchdown that you know he if you watch that play you know they're in a, a one high safety look again and they have a robber uh, safety coming down on kelsey so they're kind of doubling kelsey mahomes wants to go there like he always does notices he's being doubled he comes back to the middle of the field. He sees Sky Moore coming on a shallow crosser, but Bates, a, a great safety, anticipating very well, you know, jumps that route, kind of hoping, okay, he's going to want a quick pass. He's kind of going to maybe feel the pressure, want to get this out of his hands pretty quick. And so he's going to jump that route. Well, when he jumps that shallow crosser, the deep post opens up uh, beautifully for MBS. And, and what he said after the game is that uh, he was not able to kind of maybe see the safety that well. Maybe just the pressure was, was a little too much. And MVS puts his hand up and he trusts him to make to that he's open, right? That he there's space there that he should make that throw. And that's why he makes the throw. And it becomes, you know, what what ends up being, you know, the the not the game winning touchdown, but you know, a very important touchdown, the last touchdown of the game. So yeah, MBS, um, just overall great performance. And that's a great call to have his hand up there and and make sure his quarterback knows he's open. Yeah, well, let, let's get right to the questions. We have a lot of good questions this week. Uh this is this podcast is not going to be done in an hour like it typically is. We're looks like we're going over because there's so much to talk about with this game. Uh, Jake Wilson at Jake for now. Our guy asked last week. I was disappointed with MVS uh, in his first season as a whole, but his clutch performance in the AFC Championship game changed my mind. Did any other Chiefs change your mind for better or for worse on Sunday? You know, and this is an interesting one. It, it, it does start with MVS first of all because it was a up and down season for him 
Um, he was right about his career averages in just about every category. He did basically what he's always done. I think the Chiefs were hoping that he would have done more. But there was a lot of talk about moving on from MVS in this offseason. This one performance, does that change that that narrative for you? A little bit. I mean, I, I'd say, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely someone that, you know, just didn't really see truly the value of keeping him around when it seems like the role he had a pretty defined role. Um, which again was the, the strength that you saw in this game, but, you know, getting deep, you know, winning on those long balls, you could maybe find that skill, you know, in a, in a receiver in the draft or just, you know, someone, you know, you don't have to, you know, have a veteran receiver, you know, signed to a free agent deal for that said, he did a lot more than what I just said, right. His role was a lot more than that. And so I think that is a big part of this and, and would you, and, and actually I'm going to, I'm going to use this as a way to maybe talk about someone that, yeah, that I, I did change my mind on that. We didn't talk about pre-show. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster did not do anything down the stretch of the season, and he is a free agent. And so if if you're going to, you know, want to re-sign him, there's not much evidence down the stretch that, you know, you're, you're you know, that, that you should. And MBS is already under contract. So I'm, I just want to keep a, maybe one veteran receiver. I just don't think you need to have too many of them. You want to kind of have your receiving core young. And, hey, it – after a performance like that and Juju's health history, it's it's hard not to think about, oh, hey, maybe we should just, you know, stick with MBS and then build around him with with younger players like Kadarius Tony, uh, Sky Moore, and then obviously whoever they draft next year. It's it's interesting. I hadn't thought about Juju in those terms. I mean, I think he he was banged up in this game. You know, it didn't play a lot. Um, yeah, and that's and that's the thing that we all kind of were scared of a little bit, right? When they signed him, it's always been a thing of his a little bit, his injury history. Well, it it's been a thing this year, has it? You know, it has. You know, it has been, and I, I don't know if this changes my outlook on him per se. I still think he's a great fit within this offense, and and when healthy has has been good. Uh, but you know, I I think it might change our outlook on MVS. Are there other guys though? Let's think about um, Harrison Butker is somebody that that people all season <laughs> wanted to wanted to replace and, and looked at his cap hit when he was missing kicks and said, uh, hey, can they do better at kicker? Uh, he was nails in this game. He was perfect this week. He was, he's was he been perfect for a couple of weeks now. Um, and, you know, clutch as well, hitting the the, the game winner uh, to send this team to the Super Bowl. Uh, does it, Should the narrative around Harrison Butker change because of this game? Uh, for plenty of people, I'm sure it did. Um, I've always – I don't know. I've never – had too much of a problem with Butker. He's always been, you know, he nails the big kicks, the long kicks, inconsistent on the, you know, the the kind of the more, um, you know, uh, in rhythm or, you know, kind of routine kicks, I should say. Hey, I'll take the guy that can boot something long, especially in that cold. You know, hey, that, bear, that did not have too much leg on it. And it wasn't because Butker didn't, wasn't able to. It was that cold. The wind was blowing. Um, not a lot of not every kicker would have made it look as easy as he did on the game winning kick. So I, I, I've always been in Butker's corner. Should, should our outlook change on, on Chris Jones from this game? Uh, you know, there was some question about whether or not he's going to get a, a contract extension or, or whether they should pay him at the top of the market. I, I heard a whole debate on, on the radio uh, prior to last week's pod about Chris Jones, whether he's worth 30 million a year or, or maybe they should lowball him and, and, and try to meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, so, you know, there's a uh, – there should be – probably after this game, a lot of people are going to say, just give him the bag. Give him whatever he wants. Just just re-sign Chris Jones. Yeah, and you can play devil's advocate, right, and say, 
Well, hey, it was against a backup, you know, a very backup riddled offensive line. You know, I mean, hey, let's let's not, you know, it's not act like he just destroyed the Dallas Cowboys 90s offensive line. But no one's going to do that to an elite offensive line. You need the game records that are going to do that too. you know, any, you know, just just an offensive line in general. You don't have guys that can do that. So all that to say, I I, I don't think you can question it um, because I do think this puts him into a Hall of Fame potential and. I kind of had this rule last year with the Tyreek Hill situation and, you know, Hey, I, I, I don't mind being wrong about it, but I still kind of like this rule that if you have a guy that feels like he's going to go to the hall of fame, like, let's just, let's just keep him around, <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes. Like, let's let, you know, the more hall of fame players, especially like more, you know, while they're in the prime, obviously the more hall of fame players you can have, uh, you know, the better I would say. So, yeah, I, I think Chris Jones is, 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 has cemented himself into kind of that conversation with, with these two seasons he's had. So, does it change your perspective on you know some other unheralded guys? Um, I was thinking about Darius Harris, who who struggled mightily, uh, but was pretty solid in this game, and Justin Watson, who had struggled down the you know a lot of times this season, but was inactive this week, and they sure could have used him. Uh, mm-hmm. does, did your perspective change on those guys because of this week? Uh, no, not not necessarily. You know, I don't know what happened with Justin Watson. It would have just been nice to have him. I think if anything, maybe it it gives him a you know, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I am pretty valuable. You know, I, you know, I would have been better out there than Marcus Kemp and, you know, maybe the offense is a little more functional, you know, having me around Mahomes obviously has chemistry. I really think if Watson would have been in there, it would have been his, you know, Mahomes would have been targeting him quite a bit. Um, but no, I, I will say one guy that I'm thinking of, we talked about already a little bit, or I, I should say we haven't talked about him yet, but because of other guys' performances like Brian Cook and Justin Reed, you know, it does make me think a little more, just kind of more confidently that I don't really think that feel the need to re-sign Juan Thornhill this offseason. You know, I'll, I'll say that. I think Brian Cook showed why they drafted him in the second round and why I was a fan of him as a draft prospect. And, you know, he, hey, he had the flag right, and he's had some special teams flags. But he flies around. He makes great he, – he's great against the run. He flies into the box. I mean, Justin Reed's honestly more of a natural free safety anyway, so maybe it helps, uh, you know, uh, if they can kind of give Cook that strong safety role in the future. So, yeah, I think it honestly, this, this may kind of solidify, you know, Cook's performance, the more he plays, the more it's just going to solidify the fact that Thornhill's probably going to be signed by another team this offseason. Another question from Thomas Ramirez, who showed up more this week, the defensive line or the offensive line? Not even close. So defensive line. <laughs> the offensive <laughs> yeah. line didn't have it, didn't have a good day really much, uh, pretty much. I mean, to an extent in pass protection, but I don't know, even the tackles, you know, they had some shaky moments, um, help, you know, trying to protect Mahomes. Mahomes did a lot of hero balls. So I'd say the defensive line. Yeah, I think so too. I think the offensive line did have a decent game in pass protection. I don't think Mahomes was really pressured and harassed in the same way that he could have been or that he has been in previous matchups, uh, especially when you consider his limited mobility. They did a pretty yeah. good job of keeping him upright for the most part. Uh, but yeah. there was no running lanes. There was no ability to run the football. And right. when you have your best offensive line days, they're 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 plowing holes open. So I, I'm I, I'm going to go defensive line for sure. Yeah, you know, and and speaking of defensive line, you know, I, I I'm we didn't mention Frank Clark in that uh, in that change your minds at all. I mean, is this playoff run? I'll ask you, is this playoff run doing anything for you in terms of? Obviously, we probably you don't want him back on the deal, the current deal. It's going to still be huge, but. Uh, and he understands that, right? So I don't know. What, what do you feel? Because I was kind of just ready to say, hey, look, he's had a great run with us. Let's just kind of, you know, get get going with other other players. And we still may feel like that, right? Um, you know, give other guys an opportunity. But what do you feel about Frank Clark? 
Yeah, playoff Frank was back. I mean, he he's done nothing but be playoff Frank for the most part. I mean, I would say maybe last year was not his his greatest uh, run, but you know, I think you see why they sign him, why they have him around. His attitude is also just yeah. infectious, and right. the way that he uh, was fired up for this game, the way he was fired up afterwards, and planted the flag, you know, down on the on the goal line. Like this is a this is a emotional leader of this team. And he shows up when you need it the most. You know, obviously, would you like to see more consistency? Sure. But, yeah, if they can work something out to where it works with under, under the cap, why not bring him back? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, why can't he just be the Carlos Dunlap or the Melvin Ingram and 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 then have someone else kind of be in his, you know, in his current, you know, a younger, you know, more, you know, player that can play a lot more, right? You know, I think I, think I could see that for sure. Uh, Kyle Seitz at Aim Down Seitz said, no question for me. I'm just in awe of what the Chiefs did with everyone and their mother injured. Kyle, we're with you, man. This was one of those games that afterwards it was hard to put into words because it was incredible, the resiliency of this team, the way that they used the depth from man one to man you know, 45. It was every single person who was available to them seemed to make a contribution. Uh, you know, We mentioned some, some down the – down the, the, the list of players like Darius Harris, like, um, sorry, like Justin Watson, who didn't play, but some of the guys who, who we haven't mentioned yet, Noah Gray had some massive blocks, uh, you know, on some of those plays for MVS. There was, there were contributions up and down the roster. We talk about all the other rookies, but Nazi Johnson had a a special teams tackle this week. Um, and, and poetically, I thought, by the way, the last tackle of the of the kickoff with three seconds left where the game was all but decided, but it was fairly poetic that who were the two guys that combined for that last tackle? It was Watson and Williams. Uh, yeah, right. The, the rookie defensive backs that spent their entire the entire game on the field uh, battling against those Cincinnati wide receivers were right out there on special teams to close this thing out. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it was amazing. We, we definitely are going to underrate in historic context, you know, how, how much the Chiefs had to overcome in this game, injury wise, adversity wise. Um, you, you mentioned a lot of them. Um, I wanted to talk about Noah Gray, uh, so I'm glad you brought him up because he had the third most uh, snaps of any of the skill positions on, on the Chiefs um, in the game. So that tells you that, you know, they had to depend on him. They all, they, they run a lot of two, three tight end sets anyway, but he was playing like 60 something percent of the snaps. Um, they really just needed their guys that they knew knew the plays, right? I mean, you know, you you know, you can't just have Marcus. You can't split out wide, even if it's third and ten, when it's you know Marcus Kemp and you know they that was their last receiver on the roster too. So I mean, it, it really was, you know. And and I do think it's a funny wrinkle that I believe it. You know, people were saying like, you know, if they had Chris Lammons around, they wouldn't have Marcus Kemp on the roster. So what would have happened then? I mean, you know, it would have yeah. been interesting. Thank, so. thank you, Cincinnati Bengals, for for claiming right. Chris Lamonts and and forcing okay. <laughs> forcing the Chiefs to call up Marcus Kemp, who who turned around and and uh, you know yeah, he, had hey, he had a catch. I mean, yes. you don't often see Marcus Kemp making catches, but it was a, a thirteen yard reception down the stretch. Yeah, no, I it, it really was it really was impressive how much they were able to overcome and not in the run again. The run game wasn't working at all. Mahomes still was able to go over three hundred yards, have a really good passer rating. Um, and just get it done, man. I mean, we've talked about it, but he just got it done. And, and again, you know, I feel like historically in a year or two now, no one's going to talk about how much injury he had to deal with to overcome this game. They're just going to you know, say, oh, the Chiefs barely beat the Bengals and not really have that context to it. I don't know. If, for me, this one's going to be right up there with a 13-second game. 
And, and, and in a similar fashion, because, you know, the, it's not the last game of the season. The, the, what comes after it could taint, you know, how you feel about it historically. But right, this is one of those games that, it, that was, was epic in, in a lot of ways. Thomas Ramirez, question you alluded to earlier, MVP, offense and defense. Uh, you already said your MVP on offense was MVS uh, for MVP. Uh, you know, I think MVS was, was tremendous this week, uh, but it's still Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the way that he gutted this thing out, uh, it wasn't just MVS that caught passes for Patrick Mahomes. Ten receivers once again uh, caught a pass for Mahomes this week. Uh, he did whatever had to be done to win this game. Didn't matter who was catching the ball. Didn't matter uh, if he had to run for that first down at the end. Uh, this was an over-my-dead-body performance, uh, you know, ankle or no ankle. And, and I, I love that uh, with the Nick Wright uh, went on the air and said, uh, the new quarterback rankings for the AFC playoffs to Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes on one ankle, and then Joe Burrow uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the rankings. And I think, you know, he proved that he's the MVP of the league, of this team, you know, and and just the heart that he showed, I think, was was remarkable this week. It definitely was. Now, I, Mahomes, that was an all-time Mahomes game over my dead body, like you mentioned. But uh, you talked about, D, you know, uh, that was your offensive MVP. Mine's at MBS. Defensive MVP, though, I will say, you talked about a little earlier, but if we're not going to talk about Chris Jones, let's just – we're, we're going to give Trent McDuffie a little more love here because I do think his ability to step in with Snead's injury, be in the slot, and he – held up against the run very well was avoiding tackles you know stuffing his nose in there you know making sure you know uh, runs weren't going for eight yards you know may, maybe being held to three or four yards that kind of thing that's stuff that Snead excels at and I was not expecting McDuffie to be so good at um you know in this game especially in a game where the Bengals can hit you in the mouth pretty hard so yeah I I I really think McDuffie had a, a huge performance you alluded to it earlier yeah Chris Jones was the defensive MVP uh because of his it was an all-timer uh, again, not just pass rush, but also three tackles for loss. You know, in in this game, this is somebody who who just got after it from from opening to to closing. But but yeah, I agree. McDuffie was phenomenal. He's been great all year. But this was a this was a, an elite performance from McDuffie. The way he tackled from the opening drive, yeah, tackling uh, Chase in a way that the Chiefs have struggled to do in the past. Uh, that was huge. And and. Uh, uh, so McDuffie deserves all the credit in the world. It looks like they have their their blue chip uh, cornerback out of, out of this draft. It sure seems like it, man, because if you can do the stuff that Snead does around the box, around the line of scrimmage, that's the stuff that makes him so valuable. But also on top of that, cover like a first-round cornerback, which it, you know you can see some of the limitations in Snead's game. Um, if McDuffie can develop his, his game and really be that lockdown corner on top of being aggressive, towards the line of scrimmage. That's exactly who Spags wants at corner, man. He wants that guy at every position on defense. The rest of the questions we have, I I think uh, we're going to punt on some of these until next week. As we start to preview the Super Bowl, we'll do so next week. Uh, David Maeda and the Man Myth legend both asked about the injuries. This is a big story and something the Chiefs training staff is going to be working overtime over the next two weeks to get this team ready for the Super Bowl. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I am really concerned about the health of this roster. I'm really glad that there's a there's a bye week between now and the Super Bowl, which gives them all a chance uh, to get healthy. But you really need Legarius Sneed next week or next game. You really need Willie Gay Jr. Uh, it'd be really nice to have Juju Smith-Schuster 
and at least one of Kadarius Tony and McCall Hardman back on the field for the Super Bowl. Like they're really going to be hurting if all of those guys are out. Uh, so hopefully they're putting their work in in the training room. Uh, they're going to be ready for the Super Bowl, and you know we'll be ready. The coverage on ArrowheadPride.com is going to be uh, is going to be deep. It's going to be uh, elite. Uh, be prepared to uh, to read the site on a regular basis. Uh, to listen to all the other podcasts on this network. You've already got the editor show out there. The Great British Chief show is coming up. Uh, you've got uh, the, the BK and, and Ron, the show. There are so many opportunities for you to listen uh, coast to coast as well. Uh, so, so don't miss out on anything on the podcast network this week. And the following week, we'll have the Super Bowl covered for you. Wall to wall. I couldn't be more excited that the Chiefs got past this hurdle. We're back to the Super Bowl once again. Uh, we really appreciate you spending your time with us. Make sure you like, rate, and review, and and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you all next week as we as we and the Chiefs prepare for the Philadelphia Eagles. More to dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.